Welcome to the Crosslands Church Podcast, our mission to help you experience the life with God you've been missing. And now, a message for you. Of all the countries in the world, the one that is probably closest to Canada culturally and geographically is the United States. And when we were allowed to, sometime in the past, every once in a while we would drive down to Florida or whatever, and we'd drive through a whole bunch of states. And, it, and at first it seems like things are very, very similar. And after a while, you start to notice some changes. And one of the biggest changes that I notice when you drive down to the States is the billboards. First off, they're about three times the size of any Canadian billboard. And then you start noticing what's on them. You drive down, you'll see one that says, Jesus saves, repent or go to hell. And you keep going, and you see the next one says, triple X adult warehouse, next stop. And you keep going, you see, here's a lawyer advertising, you can sue somebody if you were in a car accident. And then the next one says, repent and turn to Jesus. It's, it's really odd to me. There, there was one that we saw, and it, I don't remember the details, but it showed Jesus and a whole bunch of soldiers and tanks. And there's this, there's this sense that Jesus, across the border down south, is wrapped up in all kinds of American values, including the, the need to own a gun and he's on the side of the soldiers and all. And I'm not saying he's not on the side of the soldiers, but it just seems like a sort of this very narrow idea of who Jesus is. Jesus down south seems very political. And it feels like in Canada we know better because we feel like Jesus is more spiritual. He's less concerned with politics. He's more concerned with your soul. The reality is that those, both those perspectives are kind of wrong. They're limited. And so today we're going to look at who Jesus is as described in the book of Hebrews as we continue our Hebrews series. Claudette mentioned the title, The, the Messiah Problem. And I mentioned last week that, that Hebrews is the, the book with the highest, most in-depth depiction of who Jesus actually is. It goes far beyond any of the other New Testament books. And so there's a bit of a puzzle that we're going to deal with today, and it, it may seem like incidental or sort of a, a little trick that doesn't have much to do with us today. And we're going to talk about why it was important then, and we're going to talk about how it impacts our lives as followers of Jesus today. So um, it, we've been doing uh, text messages. Um, we're going to try that today. If you have a message, you can, you can text... Um, or send it, put a comment on the, on the YouTube chat or text me directly if you have your number, my number. And, and we'll, if we have time at the end, we'll, we'll deal with that. Um, the third last, second last president of the United States was Barack Obama. And while he was in his presidency, there was one of the controversies was that he didn't have an American birth certificate. Well, why does that matter? Who cares? Well, because... If you're not an American citizen by birth, you're not legitimate as a president of the United States. So this is why there was a controversy. There was an attempt to, to make his presidency illegitimate by claiming that he was illegitimate. He should not have been in that position. And here's one of the problems that's addressed in the book of Hebrews. We're predominantly looking at Hebrews 7 today. Um, but just to backtrack, Jesus emerges in God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. And this isn't some sort of arbitrary choice. God just decided these ones were his favorites. 
as a, at the expense of everybody else. The, 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 this is the result of God's promise to Abraham. God's desire is to bless the world. I want to make that clear. God's desire is to bless the world. And he chose to do that with the first person who would respond to him in faithful obedience. And that was Abraham. And so because Abraham responded in obedience, God said, I promise you, he made an oath that his descendants would result in the blessing of the world. And his descendants were the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel over time became structured um, with sort of three pillars of government. I know they have the same thing in the United States. I've, I'm kind of embarrassed to say I'm not exactly sure how it works in Canada. I know we have the House of Parliament, House of Commons, and all that other stuff uh, modeled after Britain. But in the United States, they have three different branches of government, executive, judicial, legislative. And the idea is that there's a check and a balance there. So one group doesn't have too much control. And so three pillars of government. It was actually the, kind of the same in ancient Israel, but they had three different pillars. The first was the monarchy. The monarchy was uh, the king who would represent the nation, nation internationally when it came to foreign policy. Uh, he was in charge of things like the army, national defense. He would collect taxes for the sake of infrastructure, although not as much because they also had the priesthood and the priesthood also collected what was effectively like a tax, the tithe, but they administrated the worship of God. These were the people of God and they administrated that. They, they facilitated all of the sacrifices that allowed the people to engage with God, their creator. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that over the next couple of weeks. So the first one was the monarchy, the king. The second one was the priesthood. Um, and there was a high priest, the person in charge, which that person actually had a lot of power. It wasn't like today we have sort of separation of church and state and, um, you know, the, the prime minister is really important, the governor general is really important, but pastors just sort of pastor churches. The high priest would be like the pope in the nation. And then there was a third pillar of government, which was sort of an unofficial pillar of government. And this was the, a group of people known as the prophets. The prophets were, they were like the check and balance. When things went wrong, these would be God's mouthpiece, the spokesperson for God to provide correction and encouragement to the king and the priesthood. When they're doing it wrong, you can count on the prophets to tell them. So those were the, those were the three things. Now, things didn't go well over the history of the nation. And so God would appoint specially, the word is anointed, certain people that were specially commissioned and empowered to provide correction, whether it was rescue or condemnation or whatever. And, and the word for anointed one in the Hebrew was something like Moshiach, where we get the word Messiah. There were, there were a lot of Messiahs, including people that were not Israelite. But over time, the expectation was that there would be one ultimate Messiah that was coming. And the anticipation and the hunger for this person to come to rescue them, to solve all their problems, it grew over time. And so as you read through the Old Testament, you see that that expectation becomes more consolidated, consolidated in the book of Isaiah, and certainly in the book of Daniel, one of, the most, one of the latest books written, that there was the expectation there's going to be one person who's going to do the whole job. He's going to carry all the responsibility. In fact, he's going to fulfill the role of all three roles of government. He's going to be a prophet. Moses said, one day I'm going to send, God will send a prophet like me. So a high-end, top-notch prophet, the, the one who will be overall. There was a sense that there would, be, there, was, there would be a new high priest that would eliminate all the corruption. And one of the primary titles 
for the expectation of Messiah was son of David. David was the prototypical king. He would be kind of like, um, you know, the first real superhero was Superman. And he kind of sets the expectation of what a superhero is. Wears a costume, has special abilities, and fights on behalf of rightness and justice and all that other stuff. And, and although there's some deviations, certainly as we become more cynical in our culture, you get some pretty dark superheroes, but that's really where it all starts. And so in the nation of Israel, David becomes the prototypical king, and a title of the, the expected anointed one, the supreme one, was son of David. Now there's, here's where the problem comes in. Because there, there was a king, the, the nation was uh, overcome by the Assyrian Empire in the north first, and then the Babylonian Empire, and the king was killed, and then the, the, the Babylonian Empire was taken over by the Persian Empire. They were under Persian control. There's no king. There was a, there was a governor who was a, operated under Persian control. And then the Persians were defeated by the Greeks. You know, remember the movie 300? Terrible movie. But it actually was based on a historical event. And then the, and Alexander the Great kind of runs through and, and takes over everything within his short lifespan of 30, 30 years or something like that. And after he died, his empire was piecemealed out and Israel is under Greek control. And they started clamping down real hard on the practice of religion until one family of priests got so upset they fought back and they were national heroes. Uh, the oldest son's name was Judas, not like Judas, the betrayer of Jesus, but he had a nickname, the hammer. In the ancient languages, Judas Maccabee. And, and they started a rebellion against the Greeks. They threw them out and they established their own kingship. Why is that a problem? Well, because King David, the legitimate king, from whom all the other kings were supposed to descended was from the tribe of Judah. I said when there was this rebellion, they started from a family of priests. They were from the tribe of Levi. So there was, a, there was a king, but he was from the wrong tribe. And a lot of people had a problem with that. He was not legitimate. At the same time, priests were supposed to be from the tribe of Levi, and they were actually supposed to be uh, descended from one family in Levi, that of Aaron, Moses' brother. So all the high priests were supposed to be descended from Aaron. And then at the time of David, his high priest, his name was uh, Zadok, and all the legitimate high priests were supposed to be his descendants. And then when, they, when this new monarchy emerged, there was a new king from the wrong tribe, and that high priest was from the wrong family as well. And so the, the, the kingdom was corrupt, the priesthood was corrupt, they were from the wrong lines, and people more and more were saying, when is the Messiah coming? And then Jesus shows up and everyone goes, look, it's the son of David. He's the Messiah. Almost every New Testament book, most of them refer to Jesus at some point as the son of David. He is the true king. He is the one who's in charge. But there's a problem. If he's supposed to fulfill the role of the ultimate prophet, no problem. Prophet can come from any tribe. If he's supposed to fulfill the role of king, no problem. He's from the tribe of Judah, descendant of David. But if he's supposed to fulfill the role of priest, he's supposed to be from the tribe of Levi. Can't do that. He's from the tribe of Judah. So here's where there's this little sticky problem here that most of us today go, we don't care. But it was a pretty big deal back then. And um, how was it solved? There were a bunch of different uh, groups you know, we have all kinds of traditions in Christianity. Well, they had all kinds of traditions in their Jewish belief at that point. And we read about, in the Bible, we read about the Pharisees a lot. We read about the Sadducees a little bit. Um, 
I don't know if our pronunciation is correct, it's probably not, because some scholars believe that they would have traced their ancestry from Zadok, that they would actually be called the, the Zadokis. And then there was another group that, that there's really nothing in the Bible about, but there, it is in some of the other ancient documents, they're the Essenes. So they were separatists. They would be people that, that would say, um, our society is completely corrupt, let's go move to a commune somewhere. And so they separated themselves from society, most scholars believe that they're the ones that left behind the Dead Sea Scrolls. And as they read through the Dead Sea Scrolls, they, they expected the Messiah as well, but they didn't expect a Messiah. They expected two Messiahs. One would be the kingly Messiah, the royal Messiah, and the other would be the righteous teacher or the priestly Messiah. So you have one coming from the tribe of Judah, one coming from the tribe of Levi, and that's how they solved the problem. The author of Hebrews has a different solution, and it's... It's brilliant, and I'm not saying that they're making this up. I think, I, I believe this reveals the true fulfillment of scripture. So I'm gonna read uh, Hebrews 6, 18 to 20, and it's talking about Jesus as our hope, as our refuge. So uh, let's, let's read this. Hebrews 6, 18 to 20, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. We'll, we're gonna expand on that over the next few weeks. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Huh? At some point, you're gonna be going, what is that about? What is this Melchizedek person? It is actually a reference to an Old Testament prophecy in the book of Psalms. Psalm 110 verse 4 says, The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so this was understood to be a messianic psalm. It's a prophecy of the Messiah. The Messiah is coming and he's, and he's in a different priesthood than the one from Aaron somebody who's not part of the tribe of Levi. There was already an expectation that there was gonna be a, a priest that is from a different line. And that's the case that the author of Hebrews is making here. And what's interesting is I don't believe there's any other ancient source that says that the Messiah is coming from a different line. But there's a, there's a prophecy here that's understood. So who's, who's this Melchizedek? He's a very, very mysterious character. Not a lot known about him, but he shows up in the Old Testament. So Abraham, God's chosen one, because he's faithful to God, he, he goes to war at some point, and um, he, he wins. And when he finishes the war, he comes to the city of Salem, or Salem, the same uh, root as we, we get the word peace from Shalom, okay? So that's the city of peace. In fact, that is, is the root of the name Jerusalem today. Some people think it's the same place. So there's a king there, from about whom we know very little, and his name is Melchizedek, and Abraham goes to him, and they have a meal together, and in honor of God, he, he pays him a portion of the spoils of war. And he recognizes that this person is a priest of God. Now, why does that matter? Well, because this is hundreds of years before Moses comes along. It's hundreds of years before Moses has a brother named Aaron who becomes the first high priest. He is a priest before Aaron is high priest. And so there's a, there's a, it's a, it's a whole different category. Now, when you look at the Psalm 110.4 passage, God says, I am, I've made an oath, a promise that you, this messianic character whom we expect, will be a high priest. He makes an oath and a promise, and he makes it makes an oath based on the highest thing you can make an oath on. When we, you go to court today, 
if you have to give testimony, uh, most people will swear in the Bible. And it's a statement by saying, I am holding myself to something that is a higher standard than me. Now, there is no higher standard than God himself. So God made an oath based on himself. This is my promise, my oath, it cannot be broken. The same promise he made to Abraham, God wants to bless the world. Now he's making oath saying, I'm sending the highest Messiah and it's my oath and my promise he will be after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, what does that mean? Hebrews 7, so this chapter we're looking at is all about this character named Melchizedek. His name means uh, king of righteousness or king of justice. We did a justice series. Uh, we finished it just a few weeks ago. And I don't know if you remember, probably not because we don't do Hebrew lessons, but the word for, for justice or rightness is tzaddik. And that's the same as the end of the word. The, the, the Hebrew word for king is melech. And if you put the two together, melech, tzaddik, Hebrew language is funny because you, when you jam words together, the pronunciation of the first part changes. So melech becomes melchi, melchi, tzaddik king of righteousness, king of justice. So here is a priest, get this, he's a priest who is also a king. Melchizedek is a priest who is also a king, king of Salem, peace. And Hebrews specifies that there's no record of him dying. Now, the author takes that to mean there's an eternality to that priesthood. It doesn't end with his death. Jesus is a priest forever. He blesses Abraham, and the author of Hebrews makes the case that the person who blesses somebody is superior to the blessee. So he's saying he's superior to Abraham. Remember, Abraham is the first. He is the man of faith. He is blessed by somebody superior to him. And then he makes the case that Abraham gave a, a, a tithe, a payment to him. And, and he's saying this tithe is paid before any tithes were paid to Levi. He's making the whole case that Levi is here, Aaron is here, the high priest is here, but this priest is higher. And this is how somebody can be king and priest. It's interesting too, there's a first reference in scripture of a meal of bread and wine. When we have communion, we commune with our God that Jesus, we, we affirm the covenant, the agreement, and here's a covenant being made with bread and wine between Abraham and this priest. And this is the model for Jesus' priesthood. We are going to flesh this out in a couple of weeks, so over the next couple of weeks. So you, you got to stick with this. But here is Jesus who's greater than Abraham, the father of faith. Greater than Levi, the father of the priests. Both prophet and priest. Abraham was a prophet. Prophet, priest, greater king than David. Everything wrapped up into him. Um, some years ago, there was a, a famous TV personality with a daytime talk show. I won't mention her name. And she would have a guest, guest on and all this other stuff. And every once in a while, she would, she would have a, a person on uh, who would be an outspoken fundamentalist Christian. And, and she would use this, this phrase to them. That's your Jesus. That's not my Jesus. And we have this idea in our culture that just like we have your truth and my truth, we can also take Jesus and make him into what we want. And what we want is usually significantly smaller than what he is. And so we have my personal best friend, Jesus. Or we have my political Jesus. Or we have my spiritual make-me-feel-good Jesus. The uh, give-me-self-esteem Jesus. And we kind of split him up into 
almost different people and we pick the one we want, like the Essenes did. We have two messiahs, right? We have the priest messiah, the king messiah. And we do like a cafeteria Jesus. You pick the stuff you want, you avoid the stuff you don't want. The problem is that that's not, that's not Jesus. King, prophet, and priest, he covers all the bases. He covers all the bases. So here's how that manifests in our life sometimes. Um, Jesus is our priest. He's our go-between between us and God. He's the one that makes access to God available to us. And some of us were a little bit uncomfortable with that, so we use a human being for that. I'm, I'm going to talk to the pastor. The pastor's my go-between, between me and God. I mean, it's, it's subtle. People will sometimes ask me to pray for certain things, and I, I'm not saying I don't pray for them or I won't pray for you. I don't say that at all. But it's almost like you feel like my prayer is better than somebody else's prayer, the person you're sitting beside. That's not true. As if you need a priest or a pastor to represent you to God, but Jesus is your priest. Uh, sometimes we, we appeal to a certain set of rules or interpretations of the Bible when it comes to how we live and not to Jesus' direct commands. Um, Sometimes we, we, we look at worldly solutions for things that we believe really matter, whereas Jesus takes care of my soul, but the things that really matter, we're going to look at politics and policies and all that other stuff. That's not how it works. We don't eliminate policies. We don't eliminate things like scientific discoveries. We don't eliminate that. The problem is we don't replace those things with Jesus. We put Jesus at the top. We don't replace those things or sorry, we don't replace Jesus with those things. We don't replace Jesus with science. We don't replace Jesus with politics. We put him above those things. Jesus is at the top. He's the king, makes the rules, right? He's the king, we receive direction from him. He's the prophet, we hear his voice. His is the voice we listen to. King, priest, and prophet. He's not just, a, he's not just here for your spiritual well-being and nothing else. He's not here to to conform to our political ideals and political values and nothing else. He's the one in charge. That's the message. Is he your good friend? Yes, but he's not just your good friend. Is he your savior? Yes, but he's not just your savior. He's the authority, the king. He's the representative of God, our purifier, the priest. And he's the one from whom we hear God's voice, the prophet. He is all three. So here's two challenges for you this week as we wrap up. The first one is to pray and ask God in what way your understanding of who Jesus is needs to be expanded. In what way does your understanding of Jesus need to be expanded? And the second question, this might be a harder one, what part of our lives do we consider none of his business? God, I want your direction, I want your leading, I want you to provide for me, but I don't want your input on this one part of my life. Sometimes we fool ourselves, we lie to ourselves about what that is. Ask him, Lord, show me which part of my life I have made none of your business, because it is his business. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's his business. We follow a God revealed in Jesus who loves us, who desires to bless the world, who desires to bless you, and through you, be part of his blessing to the world. But he's the one in charge. He's the one that makes the decisions. 
He's the one that reveals who God is. He's the one that makes possible access to God. And he's the one who speaks God's words to us. Now, maybe you're here in person or you're watching online and um, you've never given Jesus the leadership of your life that he deserves. And it isn't just he deserves it, but that's your best bet for eternity. That's your best choice you can make. And so I want to give you the opportunity today to follow him completely as your king, as your priest, as your prophet. The whole deal. And how do you do that? It's, it, it's about submitting your life completely to him. It starts with A, admitting your need for him. I admit, I need you, Jesus, to give me access to the creator who loves me, to guide me, to lead me. And then B is, is to believe. That's a statement of trust, not a statement of opinion. I am trusting that through Jesus' death and resurrection, access to the God who loves me is made possible. And then C is commit. Commit your life fully to him. He merits control of every part of your life. And if somebody has all power and complete love for you, why wouldn't you give him that control? And so if God's spirit is speaking to you right now, you need to make the decision today to follow Jesus. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. Make these words yours. You can repeat them out loud or repeat them in your head or try to say them along with me. Make them your words. Father in heaven, thank you for your love. Thank you that you desire to bless me. Thank you that you have a calling and a purpose for my life. I am choosing to admit today, to acknowledge that I can't do it without you. I need you. I'm choosing to believe, to place my trust in Jesus today as my king, my prophet, my priest. And I'm choosing to commit my life fully to you today. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. And if this is a decision you're making today for the first time, please connect with us. Go to crosslands.live and there's a, there's a follow Jesus button there. Just click the button, fill out your contact info because we have next steps for you. How do I live this out as a follower of Jesus? Let's face it, we're in a battle in this world and the battle is largely spiritual. And so there's an enemy of your soul that will prevent you from leading the life that Jesus called you to live. And so this is why we exist as a community of followers of Jesus. To encourage one another, to walk together as we follow of Jesus, as we follow Jesus, and to proclaim him to the world. So connect with us. Give us your contact info. When it comes to our eternal soul, there's nothing that we need outside of Jesus. And sometimes we 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 squeeze him into our own ideas of who he is, of who we think he is. And he has the right to be our king, our priest, and our prophet. So this week, as a reminder, ask God to show you in what ways your idea and understanding of Jesus needs to be expanded and in which part of your life you have considered none of his business that he wants to speak into and breathe life into. Let's close in prayer this morning. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. 
Father, as, as much as it's easy to get distracted, uh, especially when it comes to election times and in, in all kinds of other things and that are important, but they're not more important than you. Father, help us in each one of our lives to place and keep Jesus on the, on the throne of our minds and the throne of our hearts. We want you to be in charge. We depend on you, your direction, your voice, your rule. Open our eyes to see you more clearly this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Crosslands Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or the Google Play Store so that it comes straight to your device. And to find out more about Crosslands Church, you can visit us at crosslands.ca. Join us next week for another message to help you experience the life with God you've been missing.